optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I answer your personal question? Now we're the same time. What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the four-hour body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com slash TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. athleticgreens.com slash TFS. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, ladies and germs. This is Tim Ferriss, and welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show, where it's my job to explore the habits, routines, and life lessons of world-class performers of all different types, from every possible field imaginable. And today, we have a polymath of sorts, who I've been hoping to have on the show for a very, very long time, Tim Kennedy, at Tim Kennedy MMA on the socials, is a former UFC middleweight contender who boasts wins over such stars as Robbie Lawler and Michael Bisping. He is a machine. During his fight career, Kennedy simultaneously served in the U.S. Army as a Green Beret sniper and had tours in both Afghanistan and Iraq. He is a three-time winner of the Modern Army Combatives Tournament, effectively blood sport, a grueling three-day event that tests mixed martial arts skills, among other things. Kennedy is now a member of the Special Forces Wing of the Texas National Guard. In his spare time, he heads up Sheepdog Response, an organization that trains civilians in self-defense and counterterrorism skills, and a ranger up a military-themed clothing line. He's lent his martial arts and military expertise to several television shows, appearing on the Spike TV series The Deadliest Warrior, Hunting Hitler on the History Channel, and in the 2016 
2016 indie film, Range 15. He is also currently involved in his latest, which is an unscripted series, uh, greenlighted by Discovery, called Hard to Kill, which we discuss. And Tim is an intense man, <laughs> as you will note very, very quickly in this interview. I find him uh, increasingly fascinating as I get to know him. And I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. So without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Tim Kennedy. Tim. What's welcome up? To, welcome to the show. So you sent me a photograph en route, or I guess just after arriving here, and uh, you had a gi on, open, and blood running down your face. Yeah. So where were you, and what happened? I, I was not but four miles away from here, and... We just had the IBJJF World Jiu-Jitsu competition um, this weekend. And so last week, we were doing very sports jiu-jitsu training, getting people ready for the tournament. Um, I hate sports jiu-jitsu. Um, I, th I think sports jiu-jitsu is the abomination to what martial arts is, where like it takes something that's really cool, and then they make it sporty. You know, it's like, oh, let's give some points to do some stupid things. And then people, you know, the mutation that evolve, like how it evolves, it, it like it loses its balls. <laughs> and I don't like things that had balls and then no longer have balls. <laughs> it kind of goes like the emasculated man. And that's what jujitsu has almost become. Like jujitsu to me is like, I'm going to get in mount or side control. And I'm going to pick your face up. And I'm going to smash it into the cement. And then I'm going to push your eyes out. And then I'm going to bite your cheek off. You know, that's jujitsu to me. Because, you know, that's the origin of it. The gentle art. Yeah, the gentle art. <laughs> um, and so today we did combat jujitsu. So just to have a total paradigm shift, just to make people's heads explode, instead of like talking about, you know, getting four points for back control or getting four points for mount or getting a takedown and getting two points, like find a place that you can hold somebody down and then hit them. And that's it. I was watching a, a video in prep for this. I think it was from Sheepdog Response, which you can, we can talk about in a second. But you, you had back control on someone. You're right on top of them. They were all turtled up on the ground. And you sort of wiped your fingers on their eyes. And you're like, okay, yeah, I just took your eyes out. So <laughs> something along the lines of like old man jujitsu <laughs> leads to old men dying or something like that. But there's just a, such a huge delta yeah. between the two. Uh, I think you have to look at the origin of what things are and then the abomination of what they become. You know, you, you, what, you, you, what you see is these really, the genesis of a martial art was they had to learn how to protect themselves or they didn't have weapons. So they had to create something to fight the dictators that were killing them or there were um, the samurai that were really good with swords. So then the ninjas came along to use stealth because if you fight a ninja head on, you're going to die. So let's create something new. Um, and then over time, that loses what it is. You know, you have to be able to competitively practice something to get good at it. So then you can implement sport. And that would, that's what kind of differentiates a lot of these different jujitsu or a lot of these different um, martial arts uh, are just really tiny little rules. Like what's the difference between uh, judo and jujitsu and jujitsu and uh, Greco-Roman wrestling and Greco-Roman wrestling and freestyle wrestling and collegiate wrestling. And uh, so they're very small differences that's to make them a sport. But if you take those rules away, you get back to what the martial art was, which was how to fight for your life and not get murdered. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's also, uh, misleading when people think of the term martial art and they, they turn it into some type of performance. In yeah, the like art, I'm going to take like body paint right. and I'm like going to start 
putting my chest all over this window and like, I'm doing martial arts. And it's actually, when you go back to the translation from say, whether it's like wushu in Chinese or any of these like bujutsu in Japanese, I used to live in Japan. It's actually martial technique that then got translated to art. So it's, it's lost. It's, uh, some of its impact through a mistranslation in a sense. And when I look at your career, I saw you fight live in uh, some early strike force events when I was living in San Jose Mm. and uh, then became fascinated by your military career, which we'll talk about. seems like you're very good at game time decisions and acting under pressure. So I want to talk about training though, for a second. Could you talk about what you say to yourself when you train? And at least my understanding is it begins with hurry up, dot, yeah. dot, dot. <laughs> yeah, hurry up and fail. Um, funny enough, as I send you that picture of me dripping blood out of my face and like I've blood already clotted in my mouth, you know, and like, you know, like it gets like stuck as it starts congealing, you know, it turns into that gelatin up inside right. of kind of weird cavities inside of your nose. Um, so if you like cough, like chunks start flying. <laughs> um, as I was trying to explain what it means to train. So somebody came up to me at the end of practice today and they're like, man, I keep, um, getting tired or I keep quitting. Or I had a couple of people that just tapped from the position that I was in or that they were in. And, uh, so hurry up and fail is this mantra of, I want to get to the breaking point of where I can't go on any longer. And I want to stay there. Cause then the next time I train that, that wall has moved. I mean, ever so slightly, but it's, it's, it's moved. So then the next time I can go in and I can get to that point as far as hard and as fast as I can, and I can stay there. So the next time it's going to move and and repeat until finally, if you look back months later, you've progressed so far today as I was at Audit Academy and we did the exact same workout we did two months ago, same weight. And what two months ago left us on the ground, like almost heaving in, in nauseous, couldn't stand up, about to throw up. Today, we blew through effortlessly, and Juan, Shane, and I looked at each other like, what, 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 what are we supposed to do right now? Because we have an extra 16 minutes because we went through it so fast. So in two months, there was a, such a clear change of looking back and seeing like, man, I got bigger, I got faster, I got stronger, and I ultimately got harder to kill. So in, in jiu-jitsu, it's the exact same. You, you rush to that breaking point. And by no means do I want to say somebody's going to break me because if somebody can break me, I welcome it. Like bring it. I see. I go all over the world to try and find people that can do that, so I can find that point where I'm going to fail, and then the next time I do it, it's going to move. You know. So when you then fast forward to an example of an environment in which the stakes are a little higher, so I'd love to talk about Hodger Gracie. Mm starting with an R for the, you non-Brazilians out there. I was chatting with uh, mutual acquaintance. Actually, before we get to mutual acquaintance, I, I owe credit to the person who made the introduction, who is uh, Donald Park. Mm, love that guy. Who I went to college with, who used to be a super lightweight blue belt that I could throw around because of judo. Now I can no longer throw him around because he's a black belt. And co-owner of a school, which is where you were training today. Mm-hmm. What's the name of the school? Grace Humaita. I think it's... Um, it's Hoyler Gracie is, is, it's in his lineage, so I'm a Hoyler Gracie black belt, but Donald Parks and uh, Paulo Brandau are the ones that run the school. And, you know, it is a shark tank of passionate people that love 
family and martial arts. And that's, uh, that's what that place is. And for those of you who don't want staph infections, also very clean school. Oh, it's one of my favorite things. I'm a, I'm a huge germaphobe. Not I'm a germaphobe, but like I'm a crazy clean person. Yeah. And like you, I walked in today and I could, I could smell bleach. <laughs> God, I love that smell. You know, it's like, that means so I actually have a huge infection on my leg right now. Cause I was in Florida. I got my leg sliced open on the side of a boat after I smashed a window with a tomahawk and my leg got infected from it because the water, I'm not sure if you know this, in Miami is not really clean. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like, I'm cutting my leg open so I can scrub it with iodine so this infection goes away because I also don't like prescriptions. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't leave that and go back to Hodger Gracie immediately. So we'll, we'll get to Hodger in due time. Wait, so you're in a boat. You smash a window with a tomahawk. Mm. What the hell happened? What's the boat was on fire and it was sinking. I didn't want to drown, so I smashed the window. And then I tried to swim out. And then the glass in the window cut my leg. And then I got what I think is poop water inside of my cut leg. Was what's the context for that? Um, well, somebody had pooped in the water. No, so I'm sorry. <laughs> why were you? Why was there broken glass tomahawk boat on fire to begin with? Um, we're we're recreating um, a commercial fisherman's worst nightmare, which is being on a boat that's on fire that's sinking and uh you're gonna have to make a bunch of decisions at once uh am i gonna try to put the fire out am i gonna try to save the boat am i gonna start to get my rescue equipment am i gonna start trying to find my beacon am i gonna start deploying the boat the life the life boat um am i gonna get my immersion suit am i gonna like so you have a whole bunch of really bad options to choose from and all of all of those bad options might dictate whether you live or die um this is for the tv show that you're yeah finishing up Yep. What's the name of the show? It's called Hard to Kill. Aptly and, named. Yeah, but not me. It's not. It's not about like me being hard to kill, um, which I hope I am. Right. You know the 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 hard to kill. It, it's to pay homage to guys and gals that do these jobs that are in freaking sane. Like imagine we're sitting here talking right now. Some random dude just like started rappelling down the side of this window to clean our window. Like people do that job. That's yep. kind of crazy, and they do it when the wind's blowing 30, 40 miles an hour. Right. You're like, we're like that little crane right there, which doesn't have an American flag on it. That, that vex. You don't, you don't seem pleased by that. No, that vexes me. Mm. I want to go tear that thing down like Hulk style and start throwing those construction guys off <laughs> until they put up an American flag. Well, they, they got their little brands up there. Whatever those are. Don't care. If you're listening right now and you're in a crane operator, I implore you to please put an American flag on your crane. We want to see it. All right. So, um, oh, am I going to hit a cramp on my hamstring? <laughs> this is the most action-packed podcast I've ever done already. <laughs> I'm just going to drink some more water. <laughs> How did Tim Kennedy pull his hamstring? He was doing a podcast with Tim Ferriss. <laughs> <laughs> They're really intense. You have intense podcasts. <laughs> so we, we, we find these jobs that are super dangerous, and people do them every single day, and they embody uh, the, the, the spirit of the American people. You know, they do something that provides, that puts food on tables, that put gases in cars, that delivers medications to people in nowhere, Alaska. And these, these are brave, courageous, fearless people that do the jobs every single day. And then we find in that job, their worst nightmare, mm -hmm. their worst case scenario, their worst day. And then I go and I do that. Um, so I learned about the job. I learned about the people. I learned about why they do it. And then ultimately how they survive or, or sometimes even perish. And I go and do that thing, um, which is dumb, you know, which, which leads me like I'm 20 pounds lighter than I normally am. And I'm, I have a bunch of jacked up cuts all over my body right now. And I'm trying to march 
March on. You seem good at marching on. And I mean, a common thread that occurs to me, at least one thing that fascinates me about people in those situations, uh, anyone in very high pressure situations is, is the internal monologue, sort of the self-talk, which I'm going to use as a segue to Hodger Gracie. So Hodger, for people who don't know who he is, uh, chatting with a second mutual acquaintance who I'm not sure if he wants to be named or not. We can talk about who he is afterwards. But he said, you could consider Hodger one of the, many people would consider him one of the top five jujitsu competitors of all time. Would you say that's a fair statement? I'd put him top three. Top three. I, right. I'd tie him with three other guys. All right. Who, just out of curiosity, who, who else would be up at the top in your mind? Fortunately, Ryan Gordon right now mm-hmm. is definitely up there. Um, Luvado, um, and without a doubt, it would, I'd, I'd have to include um, New York. I can't even remember his name right now. I'm sure somebody from the internet will, will recognize who. Oh, wait a second. I know who you're talking about. You're talking about Marcelo Garcia. Yeah, Marcelo Garcia. Yeah. yeah. That Marcelo was the, Garcia. Marcelo Team. Yeah, the Marcelo <laughs> Guillotine. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, loose hand, high elbow. <laughs> um, Marcelo's amazing. Yeah. But Hodger's in there. Yeah. And you fought Hodger in MMA roles or under MMA roles. Mm. When you're walking out to enter the octagon to fight someone like that. And just to flash forward, I mean, the, this, the story as it was retold to me, having seen the footage, but it was retold to me by another high level, uh, jujitsu practitioner. He said, not only on the feet, did you effectively beat the shit out of Hodger, but on the ground also, you were able to do that. So two questions, when you're walking out, are you saying, hurry up and fail to yourself on the way out to the octagon? No, I'm on game day. When I'm p- putting rounds in my magazines, um, so when you put your body armor on, put your helmet on, do a combo check. Do a the, what check? Uh, a combo check, like a communication oh, with the radio mm-hmm. um, on all the different channels. And we have like your primary, uh, secondary, contingent, and emergency channels. Um, then the very next thing you do is you chamber a round into your pistol. Because if you do your rifle first, you'll forget to do your pistol. So you do these things and these pre-mission checks in a very specific order so you never miss something. So, so I'm in a gunfight with my rifle. My rifle runs out of ammunition. Somebody's charging at me. I go to transition. I forgot to put a round in the chamber. Like you think you'd never do that. But like you're about to ha- – the helicopter is getting spun up. You know, guys are putting their gear on. You can forget. So you do things very meticulously. Um, when I put that round in my chamber of my pistol before I start – putting the round in the chamber of my rifle and about which is the last thing that I do before I start taking tape off of charges or, you know, making sure all my grenades are prepped properly. It's like not today. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm telling myself. Like I can fail all the time in training. I can, I can rush to failure. I can hurry up and fail at every opportunity when I'm getting ready. But when finally bullets are going to fly or I'm going to walk into that octagon or I'm going to kick that door in, not today. Like, not a fucking chance are you going to beat me on that day. Is that what you repeat to yourself when you step into the octagon and you're waiting for all the announcing to, to complete, or is there more that goes through your head? I'm actually waiting for the first time I make a mistake and somebody thinks that they're going to do something great. You know, that like, I'm going to get hit the first time. Or in Hodger's case, I shot an inside single on him to put him on his back, which nobody thought in my right mind I would do, and he got my back. Hodger Gracie's best position. Hodger Gracie, if he gets on your back, you're going to sleep, period. I got there, and I was like, 
hell yeah. Do you know what's going to happen? I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to start punching you in the face and think about that. What's that's going to do to him psychologically, psychologically. I'm in the, he's in the best position that he could possibly be in the thing that he's the best at. And this little hairy handed monkey that's in front of him gets out and starts punching him in the face while he has his back. No, he just, that was the end of the fight. Yeah. I was three minutes into the fight, and there was nothing he could do psychologically from that point forward because I already beat the thing he did the best. Right. So even in my failure, I was like, hell yeah, here I come. You know, like, I wish I had blood dripping out of my mouth and sending him pictures <laughs> later of it because, like, that's, that's the opportunity to really thrive, to grow, and to just scare the freaking shit out of somebody. Yeah. I see the, the uh, I, I don't consider myself a fighter at all. Well, not, I mean, I'm not an accomplished fighter in any capacity, but I, I enjoy interacting with people who are very good at combat sports. And you mentioned Marcelo earlier. So I've had a chance to spend time with Marcelo simply because his school in New York city is co-owned with a dear friend of mine named Josh Waitzkin, who, for those who don't know, the name was the basis for searching for Bobby Fisher, both the book and the movie. So he formerly considered a chess prodigy. And what, what they did and continue to do at that school is they videotape uh, training sessions, uh, sparring sessions with Marcelo. And this was also including during his competitive career. And people were like, that's ridiculous. How would you possibly like, show your whole hand on video? That's crazy. And all these other people were really secretive. And Marcelo's thinking was like, that's, that doesn't bother me at all because that's my game. It's like if people try to enter my game, like I'm never going to lose. I will yeah. always win. Like, yeah, you want to watch my stuff and try to play that hand? Like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I would love for you to do that. And he's the sweetest guy ever, so I'm using a tone that he would never use. Uh, who, are, who are fighters, past or present, who really impress you? Are there any, uh, they could be well-known, but I'm particularly interested in names that folks might not might not recognize as like the two or three guys in the marquee lights that have, that have really been seen before. Um, Jeremy Horn, hmm. you know, he, he was an old school guy, but Chuck, one of Chuck Liddell's first losses, um, if not his only loss by submission was to Jeremy Horn. Yeah. Chuck, Chuck's a, you know, NCAA wrestler, um, the Iceman, you know, like putting putting everybody to sleep. Uh, just cool, calm, collected, walks out, and, you know, you can't take him down. He's just going to hit you with these bricks for hands. And um, he gets on top of Jeremy, and Jeremy just holds on to him, puts him in a head and arm choke in the guard and puts him to sleep, he, like waking Chuck up because like, he's so unconscious. Um, and that was... He has a really unassuming body shape. You know, they called him Gumby because he's just, he doesn't look like me. Like, you look at me and you're like, yeah. I don't want to fight that ape. You know, yeah, right. like, um, <laughs> you look at him and you're like, well, you can babysit my kids. Right. You know? Like, <laughs> can you walk my dog? Um, he, so he's one of those guys that was just so disarming. Um, Carlos Condit is another one hmm. where, you know, especially at his prime, he looked like the idiot kid next door that you'd want to mow your lawn and house sit right. and like clean dog poop out of the back of your house. Right. You're like, he's just such a nice looking, pleasant New Mexico kid. Um, but when that bell rang, it was just pure violence everywhere. He would elbowing you, spinning kicks, submissions, grapple. It didn't matter where the fight went. He's just going to fight. And there's no, you, you, the only way you can beat him is like just being inches or 
seconds ahead of him in something for the whole entire duration of the fight. Hard to do. Yeah, really hard to do. Because you're not going to knock him out. You're not going to submit him. You just have to out-endure him. You know, and when I say endure, I'm not talking like Lance Armstrong on a bicycle. I'm talking like getting punched in the face for 25 minutes. <laughs> That's a really dumb way to out-endure somebody. <laughs> well, so this... Do I put Jacare in that, in that short list too yeah. of best grapplers? The, what that? I think I don't speak Portuguese, so I think that's the crocodile, isn't it? Yeah. Jacare. Guy's an animal. Yeah. I, I, I remember hearing stories, I didn't see this personally, but of him in jujitsu tournaments literally just ripping the arms off, like the fabric arms off of geese because of his strength yeah. and grip strength. What a beast. Yeah. So that leads me to, to a quote, and if this is a misquote, please correct it, of course, but here we go. Quote, my entire life revolves around the concept that I want to be the hardest person someone ever tries to kill. If you're going to come and think, oh, I'm going to kill Tim Kennedy, you might be able to, but it's going to be the nastiest, most evil, disgusting, violent affair that you could ever imagine occurring. How do you develop, I'll keep this really broad, but mental toughness and where does that fit in? Or, or what, what mental slash psychological advantages do you have in life or in battle? And how have you developed them? I hate There's so many like metaphors and, and phrases and little cliches of, um, you know, it's not the size of the dog, but the, the, right. the size of the fight in the dog. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, it's not the size of the, the, it's not the size the of the dog in the, the fight, fight. It's the fight. fight of the dog in the fight. Or right. The, the fight in the dog. Yeah. yeah. Um, that is developed. Right. You know, so bulls in the 60s and 70s, they had bucking bulls and mm. they are hard to ride, you know. Um, so then what they started doing in the 70s and 80s, they started finding Mexican fighting bulls. These are mean, nasty bulls and they're breeding them with the bucking bulls. So the bucking bulls are big, powerful bulls. And then what would happen in the 80s and 90s, what Guys used to be able to ride like 60, 70, maybe even 80% of the time that successfully get their eight seconds. Um, by the 80s, it was down to 50%. Right now, it's down to like the 20s and 30s. Um, the bulls are just bigger. They're meaner. And uh, they buck just as hard. And the cowboys are not only scared of how hard they're going to buck, but when they get thrown, that bull is turning around to try and murder that cowboy because they're now they're mean. So it, it can be trained. It can be, uh, in the bull's case, it's actually bred. Right. You know, but in special forces, there's a lot of different special operations units, you know, Navy SEALs and, and um, Marine Recon. You know, even, I'll even give a nod to the Air Force with their JTACs, you know, the Army Rangers, Army Special Forces, the Green Berets. In the process, once you get past selection, the next six months to 10 months, they pretty much just tear away every level of who you are, of your ego. You know, if we're going to go like Freudian, they're just stripping away everything down to the most raw element of you as a human and that you're worthless, that you're, that you can't do anything. And you are so exposed and you're so vulnerable at this point that then they can start building a fresh foundation and they start putting in the cornerstones of never quitting of always working hard, of planning relentlessly and strategically looking for every opportunity to never have a fair fight. So, cause we still, we feel so vulnerable and we feel so exposed, like anything could hurt me right now. You know, yeah. like 
fuck, if you fart on me, I might die. <laughs> so I, I have to have every single advantage strategically. Like I need to cheat in every way. So I never have a fair fight. If I'm like, if, if I'm going to go and kick a door in and there's four bad guys in there, cool. I'm going to have 250 dudes with me. We're all going to have better guns. We're all have going to have better ammo. We're going to have better sights. We're going to have aerial support. You know, like while that may not always be an option, that's what we want. Yeah. Because we never want to fail again because we mm-hmm. felt so raw and exposed. Um, and that's different from all other special operations. And, and I think that's why special forces specifically has been so successful and so unheard of, you know, so unremarkable mm-hmm. that nobody knows, you know, the, the quiet professionals, which is our motto means that we're still successful. What was the motto? The quiet professionals. The quiet professionals. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how the military entered your life. And I don't know the exact timing on this, but it's, it seems like you're, let's start with, and then, uh, then you can sort of place us nine 11. So mm. it seems like your life changed quite dramatically around that time. Could you tell us who is Tim Kennedy at that point in time? <laughs> Do we have to? And what, and, oh, and, and what, what then happened starting at nine 11? All right. Well, I was, I'm just going to just tell, just tell your story. Yeah. Mom, if you're listening, please stop. Um, I'm at the pit. Yeah. Uh, we were Chuck trained out of Samos, John, yeah, and Samos Samos Bispo. Bispo. And um, I'm training, you know, sweaty, stinky. And this pretty good looking girl walks in. And I was like, hey, girl, what's going on? And she's like, hey, I'm looking for a guy that fought. Um, he was like the fourth or fifth fight that fought a few weekends ago at the WC, the World Extreme Cage Fighting fight on i think it was like on halloween i was like oh i fought that night and she's like oh yeah i remember you look familiar and like i totally didn't remember her and she tells me that um she tested positive for hiv and that we had a huge orgy that night and um, she's trying to contact all of her partners that she's been with in the past few months to to have them go get tested that they might have aids um that pretty much personifies who i am um at the time at the time, yeah. yeah. I graduated from high school a few years early, was done with college a couple of years early. You know, like 18, I'm an EMT firefighter. Um, 19, I already have my undergrad. I start grad school, 9-11 happens. I got two girls pregnant, girls walking into the, like I'm in just a, a talented, wasted piece of shit. Like I'm wasted potential in every single sense of the word. Um, and... At the time that all of these things are going wrong and I'm having this realization of, I have to do something. Um, I don't know what that is. A bunch of planes start slamming the buildings, you know, to the Pentagon, into the, into the two towers, um, into some random field in Virginia. And, uh, you know, and I'm just sitting here watching live these things happen and realizing what a waste of a human I am. You know, like everything was about what jeans am I going to wear? Or, you know, if I'm going to bring a good bottle to someplace to impress somebody to, you know, be able to hook up with somebody else. Um, and this, it was like this, this horrible, humiliating slap in the face of you're a piece of shit. What are you going to do now? And then what happens? So I walk into the recruiter's office and I, I say, put me on the fastest course I possibly can to the worst place I can go. You know? All right. So, so you do that. What, what do the people around you think of that decision? Um, my mom was scared. My dad was proud. My brother was excited. Um, 
all of my friends were just like me, so interested in themselves that it, it didn't matter what I was going to be doing. Right. They were too self-absorbed yeah. to really have that much interest. Yeah. Um, my, my dad, he, he wasn't proud yet. Um, he was exhilarated in the sense that I had a chance. You know, you'd been so in a, in a way you'd been given a second chance. Yeah, like a reboot opportunity. In this case, it was probably my fiftieth chance. Yeah, you know, I, I came. You know, white privilege is a thing, and I had every opportunity to succeed in anything I did. Um, you know, I was, I was top ten in the world when I was twenty-two years old as a fighter, um, twenty-one as a fighter. Anything I could have done anything, and um, and I was just wasting everything. So then at this point, it was my dad finally be like okay, we, we got another chance, you know, <laughs> let's see how this goes. So, so if you could walk us through sort of what happens in the, in the weeks and months after that, because I, I'm, I'm very, I mean, I have friends who are both active and at this point, certainly uh, now more, more on the civilian side from military, but I've never experienced it myself. Yeah. So what, what happens from that point forward? So, you know, it's, it's a, to get, to special forces, there's a lot of tests from intelligence chat tests, you know, your, your ASVAB, your GT, your, um, GT test. What are uh, those? It's your general technical knowledge. So it's, there's high IQ people who can do amazing things on, on questionnaires. And then if you hand them a puzzle, they kind of look at it like, or if you hand them a transmission, right. And you say, break this transmission down and put it back together. Um, that's just a different type of mind. Sure. Um, Special forces, they want smart guys that are physically capable that have a very, very high acumen in, in general technical ability. Um, so there's some tests that when you take the ASVAB, which is kind of the general military intelligence test, that has subcategories that one of which is your your GT score, your general technical knowledge. Um, so make sure your scores are good. You have the proficiency to learn a second language quickly, or you already have a second language, which is required in all special forces. And then you go to basic training as an infantryman. If you finish basic training, you go to airborne school, you finish basic training, infantry school and airborne school. Then you go to special operations preparation course. And this is the attritter. This is the opportunity for the special forces to get rid of you. This is, um, it's run by senior special forces NCOs and they, it's their first access to the fresh population of potential candidates that are going to go to selection. If you don't pass SOPC, then you don't get to go to selection. If you don't go to selection, then you go to the needs of the army. You can go back to being infantry or you could go to EOD or you could do anything else. You just can't be a green beret. What does EOD stand for? Uh, it's, or what is it? Yeah. It's, it's getting rid of bombs, okay. explosive uh, ordnance disposal. Mm-hmm. Um, guys would go to psychological operations, civil affairs, just kind of any other kind of high speed, cool job, but you're just never going to be special forces. I think we had in, we got there in April and they froze guys going to selection in May, June, July, and August because it was too hot and a bunch of green berets keep dying in selection well, pre green berets. So they wouldn't let us go. So they had us for four or five months of all of these recruits coming in. And the 500 of us, they sent 91 of us to selection. Everybody else went away. Washed out a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. And of the 91 of us, 88 of us got selected and then went to, when you get selected, that just means you get to go to 
the Q course, which is somewhere between a year to two years of training to show up on the team and then realize that you know nothing and that you're a piece of shit and that you have everything to learn the day that you walk through the door. So when you got into, say, the Q course, what were you best at and what were you worst at? Where did you excel and where were you deficient the most, if you remember? They love the gray guy. Like they always say, be the gray man, be the man, be the guy. You know, there's 200 people in formation. Be the guy that nobody knows the name of. Yeah. Um, which means like if you're going to run a PT test, there's the guy that goes the fastest and the guy, the guy that goes the slowest. You want to be the guy that just passes that nobody knows about. Why is that? Like being so unremarkable is, a, is a, especially in special operations, it's a, it's a trait that's really hard to find. Mm. That um, Is that for blending in later, for being inconspicuous later? Or yeah, is- and also we don't want showboaters. Right. You right. can go to the Navy SEALs <laughs> and we don't want failures. Yeah. You know, you can go to the Air Force. <laughs> um, or the. <laughs> so we want that sweet middle ground. We want yeah. the gray man that can do anything that will always pass and you forget about the moment you take your eyes off him. Yeah. You're like, I'm looking right at you, but where'd you go, man? I know you're right there. Right. Like, you know, you cross the finish line. You're like, all right, great job. What was that dude's name again? Right. That's right. the guy that we want. Cause that guy's priceless. So country. were you that guy? I was not that guy. <laughs> I was the guy that would finish first. Yeah. I was the guy that was Bi- um, biceps the size of my chest. Probably. Yeah. And competitive shooter, a professional fighter, like they knew, you know, like they knew who I was. Right. So it took a lot of practice and training and pain to kind of get the gray man mentality. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be, I want everybody to be like, Oh, look at Tim. You're like, great. Look at that guy. He's, be like Tim. But that's just not how it is in that culture. So how do they, how do they beat that out of you? Or how do they, they beat that? Like they, you just, you said it. Yeah. <laughs> they beat it out of you. So if you're in seer school, um, you're talking about being a gray man. Yeah. Like if you're the tallest, that's, you get, what is that? That's, uh, help me out. What survival, evasion, resistance, resistance, escape. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a month long torture mm-hmm. school where, uh, you want to be the gray man. If you're not the gray man, you are being beat. You're like, I'm not, you are being beaten yeah. like phone books, hoses, starvation, cold water, um, locked inside of cages, locked inside of boxes that you can't take a full breath in locked inside of a box that you can't stand up in that you can't stretch in, you know, being pissed on getting put in a pond that's frozen and making them making you squat. So your tiny little dick and their balls, which are essentially up inside of your stomach are barely touching and breaking the ice. And you have to stand there in that half squat with the water, just playing with what's left of your, you know, tiny penis <laughs> and with, with somebody making fun of you while you're doing it. Right. You're like, Oh, look at his little dick, you know, uh-huh. and like, why are you taller than I am tall? Oh, and then they bit you again. So they beat it out of you. Yeah. I mean, you, you'll, you'll get good at it. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to think of how to, how to segue here. Uh, Mental toughness. Now, it when, can be taught. When, when is it considered it graduating from, say, ranger school? Like, what, what is that moment? Where does that come after uh, that, that particular? So there's a bunch of phases in the Q portion. course. Mm-hmm. Um, once you get selected and you start the Q course, you have small unit tactics. So it's learning how to be a guerrilla warfighter. 
And then from there, you have to learn your job. So you're an 18 Bravo. I'm an 18 Bravo, Special Forces Weapon Sergeant. I have to learn everything about every single foreign weapon. It's like how to assemble and disassemble a Dishka and an American M2 and then an AK-47 and an M4 and an M21 and M14. I need to know all these weapons, how to assemble, how to disassemble. If you put all the parts into a box, I can pick all the parts out and figure out which gun is which and then put them together. I can close my eyes. I can do it with every single American gun. Um, so that if you send me to a country and all we have access to is local indigenous guns, it's cool. We're good with these and I know how to work it and how to clean it and how to operate it. Um, so that's my job security, the security of my team, also an 18 Bravo skill set. And then from there, you what go does to, security mean in this uh, context? Like right now in this room that we're in, mm-hmm. uh, where, where would I set up early warning? You know, am I going to bribe the bomb that's on the street corner mm-hmm. that's watching the front door or the guy that's at the um, front desk that let me in here and push right. the elevator button? Like, mm-hmm. is he going to have my direct cell phone line? If I go to Dominican Republic to do a counter human trafficking mission, right. who am I bribing? How am I protecting I my team? How am I protecting? It. Or if I'm in country, I'm in Afghanistan or if I'm in Iraq, like what is the outside cordon? You know, how, what kind of, if I'm going to level all the bushes and then I'm going to put up high fence and then I'm going to have mines in between the high fence and the mid fence. And then from the mid fence to my security positions where I have machine guns positioned with interlocking sectors of fire. So by the time you get to my little hut in the middle, like it's been a pretty bad fight, you know, <laughs> right. I'm supposed to be able to think of all that. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a security consultant, but for 12 special forces guys, right. when everybody around us wants to kill us. Yep. Got it. So you've done SUT. Small unit tactics, guerrilla warfare. You've learned your job. Then you go and you uh, apply it in what in a phase called Robin Sage, which is the coolest phase there is. Robin Sage. Robin Sage. You go to a country called Pineland, and you are embedded with eleven other special forces guys. Now, is that a nickname for a real country, or is it a simulation? It's a simulation. Yeah, and it's very Vietnam era simulation, um, or North Af- or North Iraq pre-war with the Kurds about to fight Saddam. Um, They put you in and they have a hundred role players that are your indigenous fighting force, your militia. And you're trying to train them. You're trying to prepare them. You set up a base of operations that they're going to be fighting out of. And you start running operations like military operations to overthrow a government, to um, battle a, a local other insurgency, a competitive warlord, uh, so that we have a hope of implementing democracy and then help them write a constitution and then help them put people into government that can run the country appropriately. And there's very intentional design problems that come up in this phase. But it's a full, you pack your your rucksack with your food and your water and you jump out of an airplane into the middle of a forest and you link up with the, the local G's and you start conducting this month, two month long exercise. You finish that, you go to SEER school. You graduate SEER school, you finally get to go to being awarded your Green Beret and then you step into an ODA and they're like, you suck. What's an ODA? Uh, spe- uh, Special Forces Operation Detachment Alpha. It's the A-Team. I got it. Where the ODA is the A-Team. And uh, they say, go sit in the corner and uh, open your eyes, open your ears, and shut your mouth. And you do that for like a year. And then you start get to start work. <laughs> so you get to start work. At what point? So I was doing some reading. And uh, again, correct me if I'm wrong here. But so I... <laughs> 
I'm the guy who once, gra- once you graduated ranger school, a place that starves you and denies you sleep for over two months, took a fight six days later in the IFL. Mm. Why would you do such a thing? I'm stupid. <laughs> yeah. okay. I think we have a recurring theme here, right? Yeah. <laughs> We're just like... God, you're just a dumb person. You're like, you're a smart person, Tim. Like, and then, the, uh, and then across well, the table, yeah. there's like this other person that's super stupid. Um, I mean, it seems to have worked for you so far. Hurry up and fail. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I graduated from Ranger School as an honor grad, uh, which is of the four or 500 people that, that went, the two, 300 that graduated, there's three that are selected, one... Um, for the NCOs, one for the officers, and one as an overall, as the best rangers of that class. Um, so I graduate. I actually fought in the Army Combatives Tournament, the, which is one of, I think, the most grueling, unknown tournaments in the world. I fought that the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. What is it? It is a, it's a three-day tournament. You weigh in on Thursday, Friday. It's all grappling. And who, are, who is it? Is it? Is it? Who are the the contestants? The contestants. The are, Where are they from? Combat arms of all branches of service. So Navy SEALs, Green Berets, Army Rangers, 101st Airborne, 82nd Airborne, um, infantrymen. You know, like Marine. Anybody yeah. that kicks ass for a living can come and fight in the combatives tournament. The unknown kumite of the military. Yeah. So first day is all grappling mm-hmm. or so you, it's like a, it's like a grappling tournament. If you win that day, you go to the next day, which is, are the rules sports jujitsu? Are they different? Similar to sports jujitsu. Um, there's no pulling guard. You can slam, you can knock out people, um, with a slam or mm-hmm. with a slam or throw. Uh, so very combat focused grappling. Mm-hmm. You win that, you move to the next day, which is pancreas rules, which is limited striking. You can kick to the head, open palm to the head, close fist to the body, knees to the body, and then grappling. All submissions are in. If you win that day, then you move into the third day, which is full MMA rules, and it's like a UFC fight, um, but you're in your uniform. So you're still fighting in Oh, your, right, in your gear. In your gear the whole time. Are there any rule differences between the MMA rules, per se, and this tournament and regular MMA rules They're No, they're pretty similar to, to like UFC. Got it. UFC rules. Got it. More so than like a pride. So you're not allowed to kick on the ground. Nope. Yep. So that was the day I went to ranger school. I weighed in on Thursday. I fought Friday, Saturday, Sunday, won my third army combatives tournament. And the only person ever win it three times. And then Sunday night I checked into ranger school. I went to ranger school Graduated honor grad. How much later was that? that was... The same day. Oh, okay. I got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Like finished Sunday from the combatives tournament, um, iced my hands and then checked into the, to ranger school that same day and started ranger school that Sunday night. Two and a half months later, I graduate from ranger school, honor grad. And then eight days later, so I'm finding Dante Rivera in the UFC or in um, the IFL. So now did you, did you <laughs> say like that's really dumb. But, but did you go into that, that particular fight? Did you commit to that fight because you wanted to win? Because you wanted to see if it was possible to do such a thing after the experience of ranger school? Did you just commit so long ago that you're like, oh, shit, here it is? No, I guess I can, I'm pre-committed. Why, why do... Yeah. I mean, aside from the, <laughs> you're saying it's stupid, but there, I know you're not a stupid guy. I mean, so what's the, what was the thought process? What, what were you hoping to get out of that? Like right now, if... 
somebody kicked in the front door of this room yeah. and 10 Mexican cartel guys ran in Sicarios with their masks pulled over. What do you think I would do? What do I think you would do? Yeah. I think you'd probably go straight for it. For sure. Yeah. Right. I'm tearing out eyes. I'm biting out cheeks. Yeah. You know, I'm taking this glass right here and it's going through the first dude's eye. I'm going to take that stand right there and I'm using it as a baseball bat. I'm going to make it a choke point right there by the hallway, you know, where it's like we're in Thermopylae right. and, and see if the, if you guys can get past us, like the 300. Um, that's just the spirit of the fight. And I think you have to test the spirit of the fight. Um, when I graduated from Ranger School, and I got the call a couple of days later, could you fight in the IFL, which was... A, a new promotion that was, you know, on Fox, I knew I was going to already be heading to, to combat. And the reason I had to go to ranger school was I had just gotten back from Iraq and my boss, John McPhee, the sheriff of Baghdad, um, he told me I was a, I was a piece of shit. And he said that I had no business being in a unit like the one that we were in because we were in a very special unit within special forces and that I I didn't have the leadership and I didn't have the experience and I didn't have the military bearing to, to be in that unit and that I could maybe get a chance if I went to honor, if I went to ranger school and I graduated honor grad, I knew I was going to be heading back to combat. So I not only needed to prove to him that I was a good leader, but I was also tough enough and I deserve to be there. Why? Just if I can pause for a second, why, why did he say that? What were, I mean, with, with the degree to which you're comfortable disclosing, I mean, what, what happened that would lead him to, to say that? There's a lot of little things. Um, we're on a, a night where we're trying to kill one of the most evil dudes in all of the war. We've been at war for 16 years, uh, Zarqawi. Um, remember the deck of cards? I do, yeah. Yeah, like he was an ace. Mm -hmm. He's a bad dude. He, he had strung up Americans from bridges and set them on fire. You know, he drug dudes down the road, strapped behind a car that he had stolen from the Americans. He was notorious for posing with pictures with Americans, dead Americans in front of him, holding their guns like he was a, an African trophy hunter. Um, even the movie American, the American Sniper with Chris Kyle, he was, Chris Kyle was going after his henchmen, like lower level guys. Yeah. My unit was going after him. Zarqawi. Yeah, going specifically after Zarqawi. And there, there were nights where we're supposed to have eight helicopters. So the whole assault force is going to be going, right? And then air or the mechanic or something came up and we only had six. So my team sergeant's like, all right, here's the new load plan. Um, Tim, you're not going to go. Little check on my ego. You know, like yeah. that, that sucks. Why can't I'm, I'm, I'm faster. I'm stronger. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely the, the juggernaut of the team. You know, like I'm out shooting you guys on the range right now. Um, I'm out fighting you guys every morning and training. Um, like wh why am I not going like, like a little, petulant child, you know, like a spoiled bitch brat, redheaded idiot, um, retrospectively looking like that's what I sounded like. You're like, yeah. no, John, why can't I go? So I get, there was lots of little tiny things that I did there, um, that he was giving me a chance to, to prove, okay, got it. When you guys get back, I'm going to have all your gear clean. Everything's going to be ready to go. Um, so you can drop your gear off and go straight to bed mm -hmm. and get some sleep after a long night of gunfighting. Um, but instead I'm bitching that I don't get to go like bunch of examples like mm -hmm. that. I, mean, I could probably, I could probably tell you 10, yeah. um, or the, the spirit of me, I just want to be in the fight. Right. But it's a team. Right. Right. Um, 
like we're only as good as our weakest link and, and I'm being the weakest link, mm-hmm. you know? How much of the... And we're getting exposed here. Yeah, no, no. I mean, if I, I, no, I'm i fascinated I told you I'll tell you whatever. Yeah, I've been... And then you're going to hold it against me and everybody's going to be like, I will not. going to be friends with that I'm, guy. I'm not going to hold it against you. But how, So as a... Looking back then, how much of those instances, right? So you're not part of the load plan. Do you think it was because you weren't qualified to be part of the load plan versus I want to see how Tim responds? Both. So, yeah. I'm sure it was both. I mean, there were times where... I know he specifically put me on a load plan that I didn't need to be on just to see how I'd perform. And then the very next day, wouldn't put me, you know, like, okay, I'm not going to put you on the hel- helicopter assault force, the half. I'm going to put you on the gaff, the ground assault force. And I was like, I don't want to be on the ground assault. You know, like, how about you shut your face? You go out to that M250 cal machine gun. You start doing the headspace and timing, making sure it's clean, making sure all the ammo stacked perfectly. So when you're on it and if you get in a gunfight, everything's going to go so perfectly for you. But instead, you're bitching. Right, right. You know, and I know he did that. <laughs> So then he gives you the kind of verbal report card that you described and you have this IFL coming up and you feel like you need to show what? Um, I think I needed to show myself um, that, 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 that spirit of the fight. Mm-hmm. You know, so I come back, I not only graduate as honor grad, I also get the leadership award, which is like the thing I wanted the most to sh- like, so all of Ranger school is okay. You're, you're the best leader of this whole entire class. Um, but I get to, I get back to the team. Okay. I got a little bit more military bearing. I got my Ranger tab on here sewn with white thread because I graduated during winter. Like we walked through snow, which, which you only rarely happens. Um, so like feeling pretty awesome but I haven't lost my fight. Like I kind of wanted to show him that I'm, st- I'm still that same, right. I'm still that same bulldog. You know, I'm still that same pit bull. I I'm still st- have the things you liked. Yeah. Like that. I haven't changed as a person and I'm gonna, like, who, who, who's this Dante Rivera, you know, a Henzo Gracie Brown or black belt that, you know, is undefeated. Neat. I'm going to, I'm going to pound him into oblivion and I'll come back to the team on Monday and start getting ready to get, go to Afghanistan. All right. So you've been starved, denied sleep for two months. You take this fight, you go into the fight. What happens? Um, I pound him into oblivion. Uh, he, he, he quit. He, he tapped from strikes. I put him in every single position and I, for a round and a half, I just punched him in the face from our feet, from the ground, picked him up, put him on the back of his head. And, um, when guys graduate ranger school, a lot of guys don't walk for, for, for months. Like their legs are so destroyed. Um, they're so malnourished. They're so sleep deprived. The inside of their legs are so chaffed and rubbed raw. Um, like they don't, they, they'll actually get, um, in the military, you get a, uh, like a medical release where you don't have to show up for a PT test, uh, or any P- physical activity, f- physical training in the morning because they know you're so jacked up and they'll give you that for months after ranger school. Um, so I wanted to go into a fight a week and a half after graduating ranger school and scare the living crap out of everyone. And you did. Yeah. A <laughs> uh, c- couple of questions that I think are tangentially related, but I, I was actually very curious to talk about a few things. Briefly, walkout music. Mm. What have you used and why? I used to walk out to like, the funnest, most disarming song I possibly could. Like, do you really want to hurt 
me? <laughs> Do you really want to make me cry? And I'd sing it to him as I was, as I was walking out. I was like pointing at him, you know, and it's like, um, and I get in the ring, I'm still pointing at it, you know, like maybe batting my eyes, maybe blowing him kisses, you know, like just, just to mess with him. Right. Um, and <laughs> I do a bunch of different songs like yeah. that all the time. Mm-hmm. And then my friend, Nick Palmashano from Ranger Up, he is like, hey, man, do you know the origin of the song Rooster? Alice in Chains? Yeah. And I was like, I mean, yeah, right. It's like, uh, the rooster, he's like, it's a, it's about a machine gunner in Vietnam. You know, he's written writing to his dad who was in Vietnam and would carry the M60 machine gun for the 101st. And I was like, no, are you serious? Like the, 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 you know, the forgotten war with the forgotten soldiers, the most, the time when the American people were so disenchanted with what the military was doing, fighting for freedom, trying to destroy communism. And I was like, okay, I'm going to walk out to this every day. So the the, la- the last half of my career, I would always walk out to that song, The Rooster, and as a as a hob- homage or a tribute to, um, not just Vietnam, not just POWs, not just machine gunners, not just infantrymen, but for like everybody everywhere that's ever fought in a fight to, for something that's bigger and greater for than them, with no thanks and no appreciation, you know that because I wasn't there fighting for me I was there fighting for everybody else besides me at that point and we were we were chatting a little bit before hitting record today and I asked you what would be what, what would make this a successful interview right looking back a few months from now and um, I might get the exact words wrong that you said it'd be, it'd be nice if people would stop dying and you mm-hmm. talked about uh, helping people become harder to kill yeah so how, how, how do people listening, how would you suggest to people listening who maybe, let's assume they're in not couch potato shape, 150 pounds overweight, but that they have, they're non-athletes who are in reasonable shape, but have no military experience, uh, haven't been exposed to any maybe real, what they would consider physical hardship in a long time. How does someone like that, if they think to themselves, I would like to become harder to kill, what would your program or recommendations look like for them? One of the hardest things um, about me trying to inspire or encourage people to train is they look at me and they're like, that guy's freaking savage. You know, he's a special forces sniper, ranger qualified green beret that's been to combat 12 times, fought in the UFC, ranked top 10 in the world. He's a black belt in a handful of martial arts. You know, but I'm the exact same person as every, as the other 7 billion people on the planet, right? Like I didn't grow up with any kryptonite in the fridge, you know, yeah. like there's nothing that is different about me any, in any way, shape or form. Um, I just work, you know, I just, and, and, and I'm just fighting at this point, I'm fighting for not even 1% to get 1% better. I'm fighting for like percentages of a percent, you know, like yeah. incrementally like decimals, like the tiniest little bits just for that much of improvement. Um, like I long for the day where I would get dramatically faster in a month that if I was 20% body fat, I could be 18% body fat. Do you know how freaking cool that would be? If I, right now, if I could just lose 2% body fat. Meaning or, you're envious of the people who have more as a sort of percentage to gain yeah. if they started doing things in terms of training and so on. But you just said it. Yeah. If they just started doing things, mm-hmm. that's it. All you have to do is start. So to like everybody, so where do I start? Man, anything, you could get up, if you, if you don't walk around, if you haven't gotten up and walked around your block a couple of times, do that. Mm-hmm. If you haven't, 
Googled where the closest martial art gym is, whether it's judo, whether it's jujitsu, or it's Muay Thai, whether it's wrestling, doesn't matter. If you haven't done it, try it. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you've never gone to the shooting range and shot, give it a whirl. If you've been eating fried food for like three meals of three dinners out of the week, try two. Right. You know, like just anything will make you just that much better. And then those little tiny decisions start building on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And then sooner or later, you look back and you, you don't even recognize the person that you are. Mm-hmm. There's such this beautiful change where like, oh my God, I can, I can see my dick. You know, <laughs> like I can see my feet or my wife for the first time in five years. I saw her look at me when I got up and I walked out of the room. And not like looked at me like, thank God that guy's getting up and leaving, but like, God damn, that guy looked good. Right. You know, like when was the last time in some people's lives that they felt that way about the person they've been living with for 10 years. Right. You know, like make that girl fall in love with you again. You know, impress the fuck out of her. You know, when was the last time that you picked up both your kids and like ran to the play gym with them hoisted on your shoulders and like put one up on the other one, the other ones you're holding the hand, you hand them on the play gym. Like that's some massive masculine shit. Yeah. You're just playing with your kids on a play gym. Yeah. You know, but there's this opportunities and there's so many of them for us just to embrace our potential, which is usually, I mean, you know more about it better than almost anyone on the planet because you've pushed that limit so many times in so many different ways, both intellectually and physically. Like there's so much unrealized potential. Back to me at 21 years old, little piece of shit, self-absorbed, ethnocentric prick, Unwi- like unrealized potential. There's like 120, 140 million Americans right now that just have total unrealized potential. Like just go, just go, Get whatever started. that is, just start. So if they wanted to, for instance, develop uh, on top of the some of the physical training, uh, the ABC, like the ABCs, the basic literacy of survival. Let's say they live in an urban environment. What might those be? I mean, taking a two or three day CPR class, EMT stuff. You mentioned active shooter defense, which I think is particularly relevant, uh, in some, in some respects, but what, what would some of those ABCs be? If someone's like, you know what? I really want to spend, let's say a weekend, like every weekend for the next eight weeks, amassing some of these some yeah. of these skills. I mean, I'll just say A and B. A is keep the blood in the good guys. Mm-hmm. And B is let the blood out of the bad guys. That's it, right? If they're innocent people, they're cops, they're firefighters, they're school children, a bunch of people dancing at a nightclub, you know, unts, 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 and somebody comes in and starts trying to shoot people, we want to keep the blood inside of those people, mm-hmm. right? Those, that, the blood, we don't only have so, a finite amount of it. Um, Blood stays in the body of the good people. And then the bad guys, you want all the blood in them, out of them, in whatever way you can. I don't care if that's a knife. I don't care if that's a gun. I don't care if that's a brick. I don't care if that's a bottle. That person needs to stop hurting people. So yeah, that might be CPR. That might be learning how to put on a tourniquet. That might be learning how to um, prevent it from happening entirely, which is situational awareness. Um, my, My good friend Shane and I, when we go out, to eat here in Austin, we, we almost play games. Uh, we're I, biometrics and atmospherics where we're, we're sitting in a restaurant and we look at everybody in the room. We, the first thing we do is, is identify potential threats in, in our threat assessments. And um, then we figure out where the guns are in the room. Who's the guy that is wearing the come and take it shirt, right? That has the fanny pack or that has that bulge on his right hip or that has that appendix carrier. It's like, dude, that guy is not Dirt Diggler. He is not that big. There's something in the front of his pants. Um, 
and then we start making assumptions about who's in the room. Um, the two people that are sitting together that kind of are awkwardly in, interacting. Okay, is this their first date? Is this a business meeting? Um, is this the first time that they've ever been alone? Or are they married and they're not supposed to be, um, they're not married to each other, <laughs> meeting right. up you know, for the first time. And we start making these assumptions. And then we develop another skill set, which is I go up and I start chatting these people up. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Is that your truck out there? Man, I love those rims. You know, like, and in a disarming way, start eliciting very passively information out of them to confirm or to, to prove us right or wrong in kind of the assumptions that we've made thus far. So it's developing two things simultaneously. But that's, that is the first element of, of being safe is being aware of your surroundings, you know, knowing where I'm going to run knowing where the out is, where the exit is, where my car is parked, um, where a threat is going to come from. What's the most likely course of action? What's the most dangerous course of action? If I'm at a taco place, you know, it's going to, the most dangerous course of action is somebody coming and setting a bomb off. The most likely course of action is just somebody coming up and be like, Hey, give me the money in the register, you know, but I need to think about what the different degrees are of, of what the threats possibly could be. And then like my kids, Never know that all this. Um, maybe they have a clue. They're smart, but they um, they never think about this stuff. They just know that they're safe. You know that I that I have a way to get out. You know, like the the backpack that's that's right here next to me that has a gun in it that has two tourniquets and it has an IFAC in it. You know, like what's an IFAC? An individual first aid kit. So even all of us right here, like I have enough stuff. If all of you guys got shot, to plug your wounds, like in my backpack right here, hmm. and a good gun with an extra magazine. What type of gun is that curiosity? There's a Glock 43, but I got good frangible rounds and a couple extra magazines. So we'd be all right. All right. It's tricked out though. Good sights, good trigger, good barrel. Um, because I don't want to fight fair because I want to cheat in every way. What well, makes me think of, I think I'm getting this right. I think it's uh, Hackworth. That makes sense, right? That's a real name. It sounds like a real name. <laughs> yeah. If you find yourself in a fair fight, you didn't plan your mission properly. Yeah. I think my, my favorite fight in the world would be the dude's laying on his bed asleep. And uh, there it is. Yeah. Just right, right behind me. In <laughs> Just in case Cunt. I make any odd moves. Yeah. Uh, so, what are. Uh, do you find it. What is your, your emotional state when you're doing these types of checks? Is it playful? Is it serious? Is it stressful? No, it's living. Living. It's freedom. It's, it's freeing. Um, so like I had this huge level of awareness, right? Where it's, it's kind of like I'm a radar, like ding, 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 ding. And when I see something that's off, so in the, in the military, everything's uniform, right? Everybody wears the same thing. Everybody dresses the same. Everybody makes their beds the same. And that's so when you look at something that is off, your eye catches it right away. That's why everything's uniform in the military. Do you know that? Yeah. So it's, it's easier to see when something's wrong. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Because everything else is the same. Yeah, right. It makes perfect right. sense. So have you ever done like work counterfeiting stuff? I'm sorry? Counterfeiting. So like if, if, um, if I was trying to find the easiest way to find a counterfeit bill is to put it with a whole bunch of bills that I know are good. Ah. So your eye's like, well, that, that one that's looks... That's the one thing that sticks out. That right? one looks weird. Right. You know, the color's off or the, the dimensions aren't right or the paper doesn't feel right or compared to these other hundred bills, this one... That one's wrong. Yeah. So it's the exact same. Well, what, what you have to do is you have to train your mind what normal is. So like in Austin, we're in South by, I kind of, as you know, like we've got a little bit more traffic. We're talking about it. That is a very casual way of being situationally aware. That's setting up the sample of what is normal. So then when something is off, 
when something's weird, when something's just a little bit awry, my eye goes from awareness to assessing. Mm -hmm. I start looking specifically at that thing, that guy that's wearing the white Muslim prayer robes that's sweating. Like everybody else, you know, they're, they're holding beers or like, Hey, here, let's do a selfie. Okay. Let's hashtag South by Southwest. You know, like that's normal. We know that's normal, even though unfortunately that's normal. Um, that one thing looks off and we can see that very clearly because we know what normal is for this, for what's happening around us. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is kind of being learning about cultures, learning about the areas that you're living, the the demographics, the socioeconomic classes, um, the races that should be there. Mm-hmm. And I do that to everywhere I go. You know, like I, I just came from Ocala, Florida. Like that was the last place that I was in. And I, and I know that it, percentages of races, who should be there with the, what kind of, kinds of cars people should drive. Mm. Um, you know, that it's 73% white and yeah. of the remaining 27%, half of them are Mexican. And then the, the, the other remaining like, 13, 12% are split between black and Asian. And where, do, where do you get that information? It's not like the State Department stuff, Wikipedia. Yeah, I mean, it's on the census. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all available online. And it's like one little search. And that's just, just a couple of quick little numbers so that you can kind of wrap your head around. But if I go to Walmart, I'm going to have a different crowd than if I go to Target, mm-hmm. right? Two different people shop there, different socioeconomic classes, different types of cars are supposed to be parked there. But in the parking lot, where am I going to find the drugs? Where am I going to find the guy that has the guns, um, the guy that's parked in the back trying to get a blowjob, the guy that's parked around the side of the building where there's no lights and maybe a camera that's busted because he's about to do a drug deal. So just knowing kind of like how people work. Um, so, okay, I'm not going to park there. Right. Okay, I'm going to park here. Uh, you know, like just really simple stuff. So then when I say it's freeing, all of that stuff happens so effortlessly now that now it's just like, I'm just at lunch with my buddy Shane and we're just talking, we're just talking shit about people. Right, right, right. You know? And it just happens. It just happens. Why did you re-enlist uh, in the Special Forces? The date I have is April 16th, 2017. Why did you re-enlist? Um, man, I don't like losing fights. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah, I've lost a few. Yeah. And uh, some close ones, too. They, uh, I, I, I mean, they like a thorn, like a burr in the back of my neck. You know, like they're just always just irritating. Now, I hope to the day I die that they, they irritate me. Um, and we're losing a war. You know, I, we, I fought in places like Ramadi and um, Sadr City and Baghdad and uh, Fallujah. And those were cities that like good friends of mine got hurt in. And, um, and I, I was fighting next to Iraqis that wanted freedom so badly. You know, they wanted to have a chance at just living. You know, Muslims, Christians, didn't matter. Just, just give us a chance, you know? And all of us are fighting together for that chance. And then all those cities that we fought and that we won, ISIS comes in because of policies, because of presence, because of secretaries of defenses and bad decisions, bad war planning, and we lose ground. And like, I can't explain to you how bad that hurts guys like me to see things that they fought for and they bled for and they got blown up in, um, just given back to a, an enemy that's even more evil than the evil that we won it from. Right. You know, like I'll, I'll take 10 Saddam's over an ISIS. 
and um, and I see Mad Dog Mattis is uh, is coming back as Secretary of Defense, and um, I see not just him, but other people being put into positions of authority within my chain of command that believe in winning. Um, and, uh, and I like winning, you know, as much as I don't like losing, I like winning. And this was going to be a chance for us to be winning again. Um, you know, in, in a year, what was the ground that ISIS has had, they have lost 99% of it in one year. That's winning. What do you attribute that to? To kicking ass. <laughs> okay. Like it's plain and simple. Right. Like if, if you, if you take a bunch of pit bulls and you put them in cages and then you let chihuahuas out, like they're never going to go and, and you're supposed to be catching wild boars. Um, that chihuahua is never going to do anything, right? It's going to maybe, it's going to bark and then it's going to run back. But if you open those cages, there's only one thing those pit bulls know how to do is just kick ass. Yeah. And that's all that happened. Where it's like, okay, we're going to go I, I saw I, I saw that you killed some of our green berets in southeast Afghanistan. Cool. We're gonna drop the biggest bomb that's not nuclear that we have on our arsenal on top of you. You know, which is what we did. It's like, oh, you killed some green berets in uh, in Niger. Neat. We're gonna fly in eight hundred shooters and wipe all of Boko Haram, Al Qaeda, and ISIS off of the map entirely in your country. You know, it's like, oh, you had Fallujah, Sadr City, Ramadi. Um, not only are we going to take them back, but we're going to take them back and we're going to put conservative Muslim leaders in there that are so far from fanatic radicals that girls get to go back to school. I mean, the things that would just irritate radicals so bad, um, they have freedom again. And uh, so what I attribute it to is giving, giving the guys that know what they're supposed to do the opportunity to do it. That's it. How old are your, you have two kids? I have three. You have three. Mm -hmm. How old are your kids? Uh, 16, 15, and two. What do you uh, say to them if, I don't know if you're, I don't know the nature of the reenlistment in your activities, but if, if you're going to be at risk, how do you explain the decision and so on to them? Um, I'm at risk. I'm deploying two times in the next year. Um, Like one time really, really, really soon. And I'm like, I'm glad we got to sit down and chat because I'm going to be gone for like the next year. Um, They know that um, this is what I was made to do and they love it when I get to do it. They're proud of me in the sense that um, if they walk onto a military base with me, everybody is walking up to say, to shake my hand. Um, It's it's different than being in Austin where people want to come up and take selfies. It's like, they want to come up and shake my hand because they know what I've done and they know what I'm going to do. Um, and that makes them proud. A 15 and 16 year old girl, you know, like that's awesome. A two year old is just like, I have poop in my pants. (laughs) (laughs) Different conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but he, you know, is he going to understand dad being gone for six months? No, you know, he's going to be pissed. Um, he's going to take it out on my wife. Um, my girls are going to, they're going to be pissed. Um, but they also know that I would rather be fighting that there than in front of their school. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I've tracked down guys that were riding down the street on motorcycles, throwing acid on little girls that were walking to school because they didn't think girls should go to school. Um, I want that to happen nowhere on the planet. Um, 
and in the places that it does, I want to go there and stop it from happening. Like, I don't want that to be here. You know, that, that, that's on a rise in, in the UK right now. It's, it's increased by almost a thousand percent as people trying to prevent girls from going to school, specifically with acid. You know, like, okay, send me to the UK. I can fix this. You're not going to like how I'm going to do it, but uh, I can fix it. How do you, how do you think about risk? Uh, and maybe that's not the right word, but you get deployed. Ostensibly, something bad could happen to you. Uh, how, do you how do you think about that yourself? When we're stripped down, you, know, you go all the way back to the most raw, exposed version of that special forces soldier, and they start building those cornerstones in the, in the foundation. Um, we are risk adverse. We are trying to set ourselves up for success in every imaginable way so that we, that we can't fail. And when, if and when things start failing, um, there's so much training and there's so much rehearsal and there's so much practice and there's so much strategy and there's so much preparation that that quote of, I'm going to be the hardest person somebody ever tries to kill. Imagine fighting 12 of me, hmm. you know, or 24 of me, you know, 36 no, yeah. of me. No, thanks. You know, with an AC-130 flying over us and an F-16 and a couple of Apaches on standby, you know, like you're not going to deal with one of me. You're going to deal with me and all of my friends that have been born and bred to do this one thing which is give people a chance to fight for their freedom. You don't want to fuck with us. We really like that freedom thing. Do you have a contingency plan for if something happens to you? Yeah. You do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike, my family will be very well off, probably better if <laughs> financially. Yeah. Um, but more, I mean, like, my uh, all the guys that we're with, they know, I mean, these are horrible conversations to have, um, and things that, you know, I don't want my family to know, but, uh, like if I break my back or if I'm so badly burnt, um, to what degree are they going to try to save me? That's a conversation we have, you know, like maybe don't put me on that bird. Maybe just let me die right here, you know, uh, but that's a conversation for me and my friends. Right. Um, you know, I've had dudes be like, all right, listen, all I want you to do is take my cell phone, smash it on the ground, go take my laptop, smash that on the ground, and then uh, make my shirt, make sure my body goes to my wife, <laughs> which is funny, but like, these are conversations that we have and everybody's yeah. is different, yeah. you know, but as a team, um, you know, sure as shit, I'm going to make sure that dude's like, I'm not only going to smash his laptop, I'm probably going to microwave it and then I'm going to throw it in the ocean right? You know, or the river or, um, you know, tigers. So, I don't know. Yes, we have contingencies. Uh, if you could put one word, question, short message, anything on a billboard just to get it out to millions or billions of people, met- met- metaphorically speaking, uh, what might you put on such a billboard? Oh, one word? No, no. It could be one word. It could be a sentence. It could be a question. It could be anything. It could be a long quote that you like. It could be anything. <sighs> I mean, I, I, I just want people to work. Like we're, we're in a society of a culture of entitlement where it's like everybody wants the fast, easy, quick fix for everything. You know, like, oh, I'm, I'm sick. Give me a prescription. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm fat. Um, give me that quick, easy diet. Um, I'm not successful at work. Just give me that promotion, even though I deserve it. Like everything is just on the far side of hard work. 
So that, that's what I'd put. Everything you want is on the far side of, of work. Mm. You know, like freedom. The only place freedom exists is on the far side of hard work. The only place success exists financially, sexually, um, relationships, emotionally, it's, it's on the far side of work. Like if you, you want a good marriage, fucking work for it. You know, you want to have amazing sex, cool, work for it. You know, like unless, unless you're this fictional character and you know, like, well, I don't even know the movies like Dirt, Dirt, Dirt Diggler, right? Dirt Diggler. <laughs> was that based on a real guy? Like, was he even good at sex? Like, I don't know. But I guess I'll tell you what, somebody that really wants and is committed to being good at it is going to be good at it. Yeah. You know, and like that goes for everything. Mm-hmm. Success, sleep, even sleep. Like you want good sleep? Earn it. Go work for it. You know, like put your iPad away. Go eat a good, healthy dinner. Work hard all day long for 12 hours and play with your kids and sweat and fuck your wife. You know, give her 15 orgasms so you fall over in the bed and you just pass out for eight hours. That's some good sleep right there. You know, like, so on the far side of hard work. Everything you want is on the far side of hard work. Mm-hmm. We could keep going for hours and hours and hours. And I think that we might, I was going to say we should do a round two, but it might be a year from now. Uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm about to be like a pretty, when I come back from combat, yeah. cause like you're such a, like right now we're like having these nice essential conversations, but we're, we're I mean, we're kind of getting philosophically yeah. projecting what, what would be doing or billboards of inspiration. Yeah. Um, like I'll come, I'll be a raw asshole <laughs> in a year from now after being overseas for, you know, yeah. Open be, invitation. I'll talk anytime. Yeah. Different here. conversation. Yeah, probably. But, um, where can people, learn more about you. What would you like them to check out and where can they do that? Um, freedom's awesome. So believe in it and go vote for it. I'll just, and then you can find me, Tim Kennedy, MMA is me for everything. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, I try to get like on there a lot. Mm -hmm. I am pretty exposed. So if you're, if you want to like, this is not a, um, you'll get a very honest, conversation out of me yeah <laughs> in in every in every in every way probably to uh too much of a degree <laughs> are there any any websites you'd like people to take a look at or anything you'd like people to look up uh sheepdog response is is like our motto is is make you harder to kill mm-hmm. um and uh we're trying to make people you know the, the a and the b keeping blood in the good and letting blood out of the bad we're trying to pe- teach people how to do that Ranger Up is one of my companies. Um, we make satire military shirts and jeans and um, whoopee shoes. I mean, they're, they're I'm an entrepreneur like you, you know. But it's uh, nah, just just go go work for freedom. You know, I work. I'll, I'll work for my companies. I'll work for my wealth. I'll work for my everything. I'll work for my freedom. You, know, you go work for yours. Take it, Tim. Thank you so much yeah. for taking the time. And everybody listening, everybody watching, uh, we'll provide links to everything we've talked about as per usual in the show notes of tim.blog forward slash podcast for this episode, every other episode. And until next time, A, work hard. It matters. And thank you for listening and thank you for watching. Hey guys, this is Tim again. Just a few more things before you take off. Number one, this is Five Bullet Friday. 
do you want to get a short email from me? And would you enjoy getting a short email from me every Friday that provides a little morsel of fun before the weekend? And Five Bullet Friday is a very short email where I share the coolest things I've found or that I've been pondering over the week. That could include favorite new albums that I've discovered. It could include gizmos and gadgets and all sorts of weird shit that I've somehow dug up in the uh, the world of the esoteric as I do. It could include favorite articles that I've read and that I've shared with my close friends, for instance. And it's very short. It's just a little tiny bite of goodness before you head off for the weekend. So if you want to receive that, check it out. Just go to fourhourworkweek.com. That's fourhourworkweek.com, all spelled out, and just drop in your email, and you will get the very next one. And if you sign up, I hope you enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by WordPress.com. I love WordPress. I have used it for so many years. It's my go-to platform for blogging and creating websites. I use WordPress.com for everything, every day. My site, Tim.blog, is built on it. The websites for my books, including Tools of Titans, Tribe of Mentors, it's all on WordPress.com. And the founder, Matt Mullenweg, one of my close friends, has appeared on this show many times. Just search Matt Mullenweg Tequila Ferris for quite an exciting time. Whether you're looking to create a personal blog, a business site, or both, you can make a really big impact right out of the box when you build on WordPress.com. And you'll be in good company. It's used by The New Yorker, Jay-Z, Beyonce, 538, TechCrunch, TED, CNN, and Time, just to name a handful. And one of my friends at Google, she'll remain nameless, has told me that WordPress.com offers the, quote, best out-of-the-box SEO imaginable, end quote. And it's one of the many reasons that nearly 30% of the internet is run on WordPress. You do not need experience or to hire someone. That's perhaps the best part. WordPress.com guides you through the entire experience. They have hundreds of designs and templates that you can use. And it's easy to get started. There's no need to worry about security, upgrades, hosting, any of that. They offer 24-7 support, and they're very, very responsive. If you have questions, they get right back to you. And this allows you to create the highest quality with the least amount of headache and friction. So if you're building a website, period, when my friends come to me and ask what I use, what I recommend they use, the answer is WordPress.com. So check it out. If you want to get started today, learn more with a 15% discount off any new plan. Go to WordPress.com forward slash Tim to create your website and find the plan that's right for you. So learn more. Take a look. WordPress.com forward slash Tim for 15% off a brand new website. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. If you're a longtime listener of the show or brand new to the podcast, my favorite Finnish entrepreneurs who founded this company, of course, I don't know that many Finnish entrepreneurs, but they may be my favorites, have something new that I've been loving. And some of you are familiar with Four Sigmatic. I've used their products for years now. They were introduced to me by an acrobat of all folks, and they tend to mix different types of medicinal mushrooms into their products. I have recently started using their matcha, which is a green tea, which is designed as a coffee alternative. And if you're trying to cut back on caffeine, as I am these days, the matcha is a great option. And one that I originally learned to love in Japan has a very smooth texture to it. Their matcha blend, in particular, includes the amino acid L-theanine, 
which helps to provide a, let's call it, balanced boost of energy without the jitters. It also includes the adaptogen Astralagus, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which may help with overall stress tolerance. And for those of you who are wondering, no, the products don't taste like mushrooms. <laughs> if they say mushroom coffee, for instance, another product that I use doesn't taste like mushrooms, it tastes like coffee. But you get the nutritional benefits of some of these special ingredients. So the products don't taste like mushrooms and are enjoyable. I offer them to my house guests and use them myself, and I don't particularly want to drink anything that tastes like mushrooms. So, moving on. The folks at Four Sigmatic have designed a few special deals for you guys, my listeners, which include many of my favorite products of theirs. So check it out. Visit Four Sigmatic. F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C dot com forward slash Tim Tim that's T-I-M-T-I-M no space to see these special deals which are not offered anywhere else remember to use the code Tim Tim I don't know why they chose Tim Tim but there we go remember to use the code Tim Tim at checkout to receive your special discount again that's foursigmatic.com forward slash Tim Tim and enter the promo code Tim Tim check it out <laughs> 